Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, afternoon, morning, or wherever the hell it is, wherever you are. This is Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host. And with me, all the way from the land of the Red Dragons, is the gold standard in ghost hunting Mr. Stephen Parsons. Good afternoon, Ron. How are you? Is it afternoon there? I thought it was evening there. No, it's evening here. I was just responding to the fact that you're in the afternoon. Okay. And so Lloyd must be... polite and British. Lloyd must be in the morning, I think. Just starting the afternoon. Okay, there you go. So joining us now is uh, parapsychologist... And chocolatier, Mr. Lloyd Arbeck. Hi, guys. Hello. Good to have you with us, and thank, thank you. you so much for joining us. Welcome aboard. Thanks. So one of the reasons I asked you on is, is I, I, I don't know. I've been watching all these crazy <laughs> – no, I, I shouldn't say I've been watching all these, but these, <laughs> these crazy shows have been on for ghost hunting and all this stuff. And, yeah. And they're not real. Well, I whatever. They're a documentary. Yeah, they're documentaries of something. That's they're not sure. do- not even documentaries now. <laughs> but you know, I, I saw a uh, a movie actually. It was called Red Lights, and it had Sigourney Weaver in it. And I, did you see that, Lloyd? By any chance? No, I did not. I heard about it um, actually only fairly recently. I don't know how I missed that one, but uh, that's, no. it's uh, pretty old actually. Yeah. Okay. And and in the uh, movie, uh, she plays a uh, a parapsychologist uh, who goes around pretty much debunking things, kind of. You know, I shouldn't say debunk, but she she really you know investigating them properly. And uh, there's another department that that works primarily on uh, psi and all that stuff in the university. And uh, so it, it's kind of cool because it show it. It kind of gave me a glimpse of what I think I would love to have parapsychology really be all about is the combination of the two, the field work and the and the laboratory, the university stuff. And, of course, both of them had funding, which was pretty amazing. But uh, so, I mean, is, is there a place like that in this world now where that stuff actually goes on? Well, you know, first of all, I think it's important to know that if you even just look at the work that J.B. JB and Louisa Ryan did, um, J.B. did the laboratory experimentation and Louisa did focus on spontaneous experiences, so experiences of real people outside the laboratory. Mm-hmm. And one informs the other, you know, uh, without understanding the range of people's experiences, you got nothing to study in the laboratory. Uh, and laboratory studies are really to exclude any sensory leakage and to try to reduce down what we have to, to ESP or PK to, to Psi itself. And then once you have findings in the laboratory, you can apply them to dealing with people who have experiences outside the laboratory. Um, the tougher part, of course, is with cases of apparitions, hauntings, and poltergeists, 
But even then, when we're talking about survival of bodily death, which involve that, there's a lot of field work around that, uh, including, of course, reincarnation cases. Some of it can be brought into the laboratory by working with the spirit communicators. There's research going on right now with the spirit mediums, for example. So it's not being ignored. It's just that you can't really bring a ghost into a lab. I haven't found anybody who's anybody who's dead who's who's willing to cooperate like that. <laughs> but I mean, wait a minute. Isn't 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 what that what uh, Harry Price did in, in reality taking a a laboratory and actually moved it in with with the ghost kind of reversed and taking a location and studying it for a long period of time. You you can do that, but you really have no control over that environment, at least not to the degree that would kind of, uh, I guess, hit the standards of a true exp- a controlled experiment. Um, the and in fact, if you're dealing with an appar- an apparent apparition, somebody who's conscious, a discarnate entity, you're co- you're asking for their cooperation no matter what you do. And if they don't want to show up, they don't show up. Uh, you'd be better with situations where you have apparent, you know, kind of place memory, at least where something seems to be static in the environment. Okay, Steve, what about? I mean, what about in the UK? Are they doing anything like this? Well, there are there are uh, a number of locations uh, in which academic parapsychology um, takes place. Um, Northampton being probably the most notable at the moment in the UK, but of course up in Edinburgh, you have the curse of parapsychology in it. Um, in reality, oh no, there's Cal. In reality, never um, fails, does he? No, never. In reality, though, uh, most academic parapsychologists in the UK and, and to, a, to an extent worldwide fight shy of going anywhere near spontaneous cases. Yeah, I would um, agree. I mean, there are several reasons as to why. Funding probably being one. Um, uh, peer pressure being another. It's not very glamorous to be seen. And, and I guess to an extent, it, it's kind of spontaneous case investigators have shot themselves in the foot because 30 30 20 years ago possibly there was uh, some quite good links developing between parapsychology units and those who would investigate spontaneous cases in the field and cross-pollination between the two was going on um, at the likes of the SPR conferences for example um, but in recent years, since the advent of this new documentary-style television ghost hunting, oh, gotcha. um, it's you know ghost hunting has slipped back you know into the care of the community um, branch of psychiatry rather than psychology, or at least that's how it's viewed. There are moves within the Society for Psychical Research though to more actively engage with spontaneous case investigators. Um, and to start to reach out to them and guide them towards better practice and the resources that the SPR, the PA, um, and other organizations have available. You know, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to see that happen. I've been trying to do that here in the States for quite some time. I find that <clears throat> majority, the vast majority of the so-called ghost hunters or paranormal investigators um, don't even know the word no. parapsychology or have been told that parapsychology has nothing to do with what they're doing. Uh, and most of them really, you know, trying to get them to even read a book is next to a book. <laughs> so there's a small percentage, certainly, that are interested and curious, but I find that the majority of them 
are really hobbyist thrill seekers, no matter what they say about what they're doing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're really just trying to have an experience themselves or gather their own evidence. And they don't really care about science at all, uh, even though they claim to. No, they right. don't. And the scary situation over here is some of the leading influencers on social media. These are they call themselves investigators with followings you know that range to many tens of thousands so they they, they do they are highly influential have never mm-hmm. even heard of the spr or at least when they have heard of it it's in relation to the movie conjuring 2 or right. uh, some some tv show where um the actor portraying guy playfair was pinned up in against the ceiling of the wall by the enfield poltergeist mm-hmm. um which of course never happened in reality and there is this huge disconnect between the modern ghost hunter or the ghost hunting community. There are little pockets. And what, what I found is that within the groups, you occasionally find one or two uh, who are seeking more, who are asking questions, who are not satisfied with the conventional explanations that are being given by the group, by the group leaders or others within the group, the peers. And they are more, open to uh, being reached out towards and being sort of guided, shown, encouraged to ask more questions and to take advantage of the resources. But part of the problem also lay within uh, academia itself, because the, the as much as the ghost hunters have stopped looking for uh, or never bothered to even consider looking for um, any form of uh, assistance or guidance, then equally parapsychologists had long since stopped reaching out for the reasons I, I, I mentioned earlier. Well, you know, a lot of our, a lot of my colleagues here in the States don't they weren't. If I go back a few years, um, I think they're more aware now. But going back even just 10 years when things were really getting cooking with Ghost Hunters and a number of shows here in the States, they were unaware of the shows and their content. You know, a lot of them. There, there are a lot of academics who, who are, and I'm not just talking about parapsychology, who just simply pride themselves on not watching television. So, <laughs> or they only watch public broadcasting or something like that. So no. uh, it, it's, uh, there's an awareness issue. And I think that they've just ignored the whole pop culture influence most of the time, which I've been kind of enmeshed in ever since I was a little kid. Uh, so it it really is an awareness even within the field. And then I think that they just don't take any of them seriously. Uh, however, I know um, many people in the field who have talked to me when they've gotten contacted by people uh, and they're very happy to offer, as they always have, guidance or information on uh-huh. what to do next, what to read, what to do. Uh, it's just a matter of them not actively reaching out. Um, and again, I think that's time and money has a, a good deal to do with it. Uh, the Rhine Center certainly reaches out, and so do several does. other organizations here. Yeah, that, I mean, that absolutely is the case. Uh, and the, as I said, the problem is, is twofold, because the ghost hunters don't know where to look, don't care to look. They're not yeah. bothered for looking, because they already have the proof that they need. They're going out for their spooky nights out on a Saturday with them, with their friends. Right. Uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, when when I you know when I was younger, we would go to the movies with mates to see a scary film like The Exorcist or The Omen. But now you can take part in your own interactive scary movie mm-hmm. every Saturday night with your friends. 
Yeah, that's that's very true. That's very true. And, and unfortunately, the people that they're modeling themselves after really don't either care or have their own interest in understanding science. Uh, I was on a panel in 2008 put, at a conference put on by the guys from Paranormal State. Um, mm-hmm. There was a, the, at Penn State University, and the panel wow. was about the media, and it included Jason and Grant from Ghost Hunters and the guys from Paranormal State and a couple producers and Chip Coffey, who's, you know, his own thing. Uh, Michelle Bellante. Michelle Bellante. Yeah, yeah, that is very generous. Um, but Michelle Bellanger, who's a writer uh, and more of a Wiccan than anything else, was on the panel as well. And we each had five minutes to talk about our involvement with the media. Um, I think it was, it was either Jason or Grant. I think it was Jason stood up. And during his five minutes, he stated that there was no literature on the subject before the 1990s. And really? at, at which point I broke in because I wasn't going to sit there for that. And Start, kind of read him the riot act more or less. I ranted a little bit, and I talked about the early, especially about the early material uh, being available on the Internet Archive, and how can you ignore that? I mean, it's free to everybody. And fortunately, Michelle Belanger also piped up, so we both shut him down and shut everybody down. I think it, it ended up causing a little controversy at the conference because they were really there to see their TV heroes, not to hear from people who knew what they were talking about. But you never got lost back. No, well, they, you know, Paranormal State, the guys from Paranormal State from Penn State had their own problems. They never ran another conference. But, yes, there have been conferences where I have never been asked back because of things that I've done or said during the session. Um, I, I had my own my own situation um, not too long after that where I was giving a talk to 200 ghost hunters in uh, it was at a conference in Pennsylvania in Philadelphia and. Among the things, my conf- my talk was actually on parapsychology for ghost hunters, kind of giving them a basis and background. And then I threw up a couple of suggested books, and uh, it was amazing to me that nobody, with the exception of two of my students and one of my buddies who was in the audience, had even heard of Deborah Blum's book, The Ghost Hunters, which at the time was incredibly popular and was had been on the New York Times bestseller list. And I pretty much said to everybody, how can you not know about this? How can you call yourselves ghost hunters and not know that there's a famous book out there about the history of the field? And that, of course, caused a little bit of consternation, too. You're not, feel, you're, you're not making me feel good about this upcoming uh, Paracon I have to do in a couple of weeks' time. Um, I'm, taking, I'm taking it into the lion's den uh, for the first time in a couple of years. Um, uh-huh. Uh huh. And I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm yeah. actually doing one. I'm doing one in Hawaii in July, and and, uh, and in fact, the the conference provider, actually the guy who started the conference, actually knows about all this, and he he wants me to, um, <laughs> to basically yell at them a little bit <laughs> to get them get them back in line. I wish it were that easy for me. The organizer is very much on the other side of the fence, uh. and. They, uh, they keep asking me for the title of the talk and the subject matter. So uh, I've been very general because I think I'm going to get one shot at this. Right, um, right. <laughs> I don't expect to be asked back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've also refused for these conferences. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I haven't done a lot of them is they always want me to lead a ghost hunt oh, yeah. uh, at night. And I say, that's fine. I'll just turn as long as the lights can be on. Can we do it the normal way that we normally do it? And I'd like to talk to some witnesses. And, of course, I get shot down immediately after that because, of course, the conference people don't – the people attending don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. They want to be on guard. 
I've actually found that taking groups out on ghost hunts is a good way of engaging with them and then drawing them towards look at least looking at other uh, possibilities and explanations. Um, you're sort of like allowing them to run a little bit with the meat with the crazy meters, but then mm -hmm. going back over the ground and saying, "Well, look, let's let's go back over what you found. Did you think about?" the wire that's in the wall did you think about this did you think about that and i found that's certainly in the uk that's a good way of engaging with them and getting them to yeah but perhaps you know, question you know what the problem with that is steve is is what you found out when jeff belanger was here oh, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. his little box there <laughs> and you were what was that thing called i forget the place the SLS not a place camera. Yeah, no, no, it was an SS, yeah, SLS camera, and you explained how it worked and, and everything else. Well, not only that, we actually we actually got the uh, the participants right. to recreate their own little stickman ghosts. Uh, oh, good, that's good. Uh, and, and over what, and, and over and over and over, and then they what they, happened? They all went back and said how amazing it was that they could create ghosts with the SLS camera, but it wasn't it wasn't like it was on the television. Um, that uh, what was it actually? I can't. You know, I can't. But it, they ended up. Yeah, they came up to me because I wasn't there. Yeah, because uh, they came yeah. up to me and they said, "Oh yeah, we went out with uh, Steve and Jeff, and they, they did the camera thing." And and, and Steve kind of explained it to us. But I really think that there was something there. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're, they're so pretty, no matter what they're going to tell you, it's it's if it's no, not right. what they want to hear, they don't care. Of course, right. but. But a very small, say, 0.1% of those participants will go away and question and right. seek further. So you are you, you do succeed little by little chipping away. Yeah, it, it's, it really is a chipping away um, at finding the people who are really curious about understanding what's going on and why, and then finding those people who are bored who are interested but are bored by what they're seeing in that group uh -huh. their groups uh -huh. do because that's another like, way that i've actually found people is uh they just get bored with actually sitting there and getting evp or trying to get evp constantly just over and over again in the dark always what's best in the dark <laughs> yeah it's been proven <laughs> Over and over again, just going to Facebook. In fact, I had an email today from somebody, uh, your side of the water, guys, and uh, they stated with a high degree of certainty um, that uh, ghosts hate the light. Yes. So there you go. Yeah. We have That's a logical right. explanation for it now. I, I did take a little moment to send them a paragraph saying, that well, statistically, ghosts are more likely to be seen in daylight or under natural lighting conditions. <laughs> However... <laughs> I don't it doesn't, really it doesn't meet their theory. Difference. It doesn't meet their theory, so they, they, you know, it just. Well, yeah, that might be true, but uh, you know, you see, for the most that, part. Again, for me, that's one of the big issues because I get a lot of people who want to contact me and then bounce their latest theory or hypothesis off me. Yeah, I do too. I do. Um, too. You know, the, the the thing is that, it, as you know. There's a lot in, in our history, if people would actually just spend a little time going back over the history of some of these mm -hmm. concepts, they'd find that somebody else came up with that and either it was um, accepted as a possibility or completely thrown out for good reason. Well, it, it, it's got me thinking, actually, of a possible next book, which is a, a paranormal FAQ or a ghost yeah. FAQ. Uh, all of which would just point back to 150 years of frequently and oft asked questions, including, in many cases, the answer. 
Yes, yes. I, I think that's a good idea. It's a really you know, good idea. I've been doing short articles, and I've got sections of my books on that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole the whole nighttime, the whole darkness thing, of course, is a creation of television, although it's somewhat based in the fraudulent spiritual mediumship seances. Um, but I, having been involved in television uh, around this subject since the early 80s, if we had not had the advent of night shot cameras, this never would have happened. That's a good point. Very good point. I remember being told once, on just purely anecdotal, that night shot cameras were only bought for um, uh, naturalists and perverts. Right. <laughs> I, I, that, that's that's not a surprise. You missed that's statement there a second ago, Lloyd, and I, and I just wanted to, to question you about it. And, and yeah. you said the the fraudulent spiritualist. So, do you believe that all those uh, spiritualist seances were fraudulent? No, I do not. But the problem is, if you look at the earliest days of spiritualism and even physical mediumship, there was not a necessity to have things in the dark. That was an evolution. And that evolution happened probably because of the frauds who determined that the darker it was, the more fraud they could actually do. But then you have the mediums on the other side who might be genuine, who are having clients who sit, who are surprised. It's like the ghost hunters. They're really surprised that you do things in the, in the light. Mm-hmm. So there's this pressure especially if you're being paid as a medium or being brought in as a medium, there's this pressure to actually act in the dark. And eventually it becomes the folklore becomes the thing that you have to do. It's, which is true, but uh, only because they want to do it that way. Well, um, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't know about that. I, I, I tell you, I've worked with several psychics who, who they certainly don't need tarot cards or anything like that. And, uh, over the years, you know, they'll do a reading for somebody. Somebody will say, well, where's your crystal? Where's your, your tarot cards? And they'll just kind of groan and pull out the tarot cards. They don't even read the tarot cards. They just throw them down. They don't really care because mm-hmm. they're doing a reading for a person psychically. They don't really – they know that the cards don't mean anything for them except maybe as a focal point. But they sometimes yeah, do it because that. Yeah. That, that window dressing is necessary sometimes for clients. I True. think also to an extent that same window dressing is now, um, because of the television, is now also a necessity in many uh, spontaneous case investigations. Because when when you're called in, if you don't arrive now in a black in a blacked out yes. SUV <laughs> right. with twenty flight cases full of equipment, if you just oh, how many t- times have you heard that's not the way they do it on TV? Well, exactly. If you just turn right. up with a, no- a notebook, pen, and a, and, a, and a recorder, they look at you like you you're not taking this seriously. Well, except that I, I usually explain to people in advance that that's what's going to happen. So um, <laughs> and mo- most, of, most of the people I've talked to, um, who call, the, the very few calls that I get, because we get very few, very few calls because of all these amateur ghost hunter groups now. Exactly the same thing. Uh, yeah. Um, I, you know, I point out how different it is. Uh, the folks there, most of the people who are private home people don't want anyone to know about it. Mm-hmm. And the last thing they want is somebody showing up with a van with a big, paranormal logo on it with all this equipment you know that's actually happened in a couple of cases where the the fan and i've been kind of following a couple of ghost hunter groups and i had a pretty much set them straight afterwards because the the family did not want their neighbors to know about any of this and here they are showing up with their t-shirts and jackets and everything else before it's dark so at dusk so that the neighbors on a nice day are out and they can see all this and started questioning them about about what was going on there yeah but so you also whole- get yeah, but you get the reverse too, Lloyd, in that you know you get the families that want the publicity. I mean, right? I, I you know I stay away from those for the most part, unless it's unless yeah, it's, it's, 
it's case. easy at, at the after the fact, but it's it's unless they get they're up front with you, you uh, you you can get drawn in. For instance, we did a, an investigation in, in New Bedford, and uh, we just did an investigation that was it. Anyways, so next thing we know, we were contacted by a haunting, and they wanted the interviewers about it. We said, yeah, sure, it was you know it's just an investigation. So uh, by the time we were done, I re- soon realized that they had brought another group in there and, and uh, said there was a succubus there and then all this other stuff. So knowing the nature of the show, I knew exactly what where it was going for. So this this family was there came in and even though we had investigated it wasn't what they wanted they wanted something else then they certainly uh yeah. must have wanted the publicity because then they contacted a haunting so yeah i mean there's going to be those kinds of cases um from i time think there's to time. a lot more of those now at least there well there are uh, actually a buddy of mine in texas who does investigations um he he joined the taps network so that he would get referrals to cases because he wasn't getting a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And he said in about 50% of the, of the time when he goes out on these cases, he gets there and they're asking where the TV cameras are. And he just turns <laughs> around and, and leaves. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. But I, I don't suck up us cases. They're a real pain. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> they, they kind of I don't know. Are they... the succubus cases worse than the incubus cases? Oh, yeah. Well, depends. <laughs> depends on your, <laughs> on your uh, what? Your, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, de- I'll, I'll defer. Yeah, I'll defer to. Well, we can't say that anymore. Uh, why have. In fact, what we need is a new classification of demon. We need, right. uh, yeah, we need gender fluid demons now. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Anyway, so we've got about two minutes of the break, and one thing I did want to mention, because you had brought it up earlier, and I do listen to you when you you, you speak, is that you said there are many resources out there for people to, uh, you know, to study up on that. Can you name a couple of organizations, uh, Lloyd, here in the United States? Sure. Well, uh, well, I mean, it, depending on what people are interested in, but the Rhine Research Center is a good place to start. Everybody knows uh, the Rhine. <laughs> yeah, there is the Forever Family Foundation, which does, which I'm president of, which supports the work of research and scientific research into life after death, and works with spirit mediums. There's the Windbridge Research uh, Center, uh, Windbridge, Windbridge Institute, and Julie Beichel and Mark McCuzzy have been doing some great research. Mark is a is a has been doing some really great research on EVP and and some of these cameras and such. So he's a good source there too. Um, so those are some good sources. Uh, the Parapsychology Foundation continues to have educational material out there. And, of course, people can contact individual members of the Parapsychological Association through that website as well. Okay. What about the uh, UK, Steve, quickly? Uh, we have we have the Venerable and Ancient Society for Psychical Research, which has got an enormous amount of uh, information now available freely online. And also uh, members, in, indeed non-members, can access the library and the archives uh, by merely requesting uh, access. All right, and so it's, great, it's, a great, it's a great organization. I'm constantly sending people to the SPR site for good information. What about the SPR here in the U.S., Lloyd? The, AS, the ASPR in the, in the U.S. is essentially um, inactive. I think that's the best way to put it. Okay. All right. So we are coming up to break, so we're gonna, we've got to take it now. So you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, International with Steve Parson and Ron Kolick. And our special guest has been uh, parapsychologist Lloyd Auerbach. And we'll be right back after the following messages.
Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Bear Eggs family. Two of Ghost Chronicles, the international edition. Where tonight we're continuing to flog that dead horse that is Ghost Hunters, uh, with our special guest Lloyd Auerbach, parapsychologist and chocolatier. So, I mean, it, we, we actually have a question. I don't know if you oh, want do to. We? Uh, oh, all yes. right, then go on then. Yeah, throw uh, it to the floor. This is for Lloyd, actually. Are ghosts real? <laughs> Are ghosts? Say, no, 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 that's no, not no, the no, question. No, 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 no. Don't listen to him. He never knows what he's talking about. <laughs> it, somebody wants to know about the Rusty Hook Project. So it must be a fan of yours. The Rusty Hook Project? Yeah. I don't know what that is. Okay, there you go. <laughs> really? Hmm. Okay, how can I tell you? All right, so let's move on. Steve, you don't know anything about that either, right? No. Uh, completely beyond me, that one as well. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to have to work on that myself. Um, we need to do some frantic Googling, don't we? I'm just going to do that myself. But That's anyway, what I'm doing right now. I'm doing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so there was another. He made a comment as well. He says, I went to the SP, ASPR back in 2013, and a short lady with a lot of hair answered the door and told me outright to fuck off. Uh, the door shut in my face, and I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Uh, uh, so, Rue, yeah. do we know that? Uh, we, I, I we know can't imagine that. that, that is... I... No, go ahead. Sorry, Lloyd. I was just going to say we know that the ASPR is is still alive, uh, although, as you said, it's in sort of, sort of cryogenic suspension at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I know that people can, because um, some of our colleagues have actually been able to request and get permission to visit the library and the archives, but they have you know bare bones skeletal crew on it and. Uh, yeah, it takes quite a while to get that permission, apparently. So showing up on a day, I guess, first of all, they showed up on a day when someone was actually there, which is pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. we don't know the full context of the visit. I mean, if that was at right. 3 a.m., 
I'm just telling you what the... Well, nobody the lives there, as far as I know. Job. Yeah. Maybe it was a ghost. Maybe. <laughs> you know what? The, I think, isn't the woman there that, that's... Isn't she a woman? Uh, wait a minute. Is well, it, Patrice, uh, you, the woman Patrice, there isn't she a woman? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The yeah, woman Patrice there is a woman. Patrice Keene is the person in charge. Yes, thank you. I, I knew that's what I was trying to get at. But anyways, uh, so nobody knows what the Rusty Hook project is. No, I'm not. <laughs> All our Googling attempts have failed. Huh? <laughs> well, maybe the questioner can can give us a little more information. I know information. I'm going in there now and doing that. <laughs> it might just be a spelling error or, a, you know, an autocorrect error. It well, might be something. That's for sure. <laughs> it might not be Rusty Hook at all. Carry on. <laughs> I'll take care of this. <laughs> Okay. All right. <laughs> now, Lloyd, I've always I've always associated with, uh, one of the action in a lot of the talks I do. I've always said that um, mediums are leading or actively involved in ghost hunts uh, really came to the fore with uh, Most Haunted back in 2002 and the use of a psychic medium, Derek Acora, right. on every. But I recall. I'll pick uh, my boy, Derek. Sorry, yeah. But I recall uh, a, a television programs that long predate uh, with you, was it down in Florida, St. Augustine, uh, taking psychics uh, around haunted locations to do comparatives um, between you know, what they were picking up? Yeah, I mean, frankly, there have been segments on TV shows going way back. Mm. Um, with mediums or psychics who who were involved in investigating cases with people. Hans Holter took mediums and psychics on cases back in the 60s. So it, this is it certainly is not a new thing at all. Um, and I, I had people that I was I've over the years, I've had different mediums that I've worked with, including one from Japan, uh, did a whole series of Japanese uh, TV programs with this one medium taking her to different places and actually have a couple of locations where I have done, a, you know, I've done a kind of comparative study of the multiple mediums that have gone in mm-hmm. or psychics and the, and the kind of information that they get. So it's definitely, uh, while perhaps most haunted popularized that idea, uh, it was definitely not new. Oh no. I mean, right. Um, psychics were used at uh, B house in the 1890s. They were used yeah, at Orly. Of course, of course. Um, but this idea of psychically led investigators or uh, because here in the UK, I don't know what the situation's like in the US, but we have, I would say, at least 50 percent or more of the amateur groups are led by sensitives or self-proclaimed sensitives and psychics right. now in the UK. I don't know if that situation's replicated in America. It's, it's not. It's not. I mean, and actually the mediums or psychics don't, the people who are claimed to be psychics or sensitive are not the leaders typically. They're ah. usually a member of the team. Uh, my experience with a lot of those folks is that uh, some of them are sensitive on an emotional basis because I've actually questioned some of them and gotten them to start crying. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> didn't intend to do that, but uh, there was nice, actually though, one. There, there was one group that had a had a, you know they were each of the team members was I was kind of observing what they were doing. Each of the team members was introducing themselves, and it seemed like I'm sure you've seen Jeff Belanger's um, description of his team being himself and all the roles that he plays. Mm-hmm. So uh, everybody was introducing themselves to their role. And the woman who, who claimed to be a sensitive said, I am the team sensitive and the team debunker, which oh, uh, good. 
You know, and, and that that was that was bizarre, not only because the fact that the client actually knew what the word debunking actually meant and pulled me aside and said, so they don't believe me. <laughs> uh, but this was this was one of the sensitives who when I asked her when I started asking questions when she was getting her her, her insights um, and suggesting alternative explanations, she started crying. So she was definitely not psychically sensitive. She was emotionally sensitive. Mm-hmm. I was uh, the ones that always perplex me most are the psychics who proclaim that they're skeptics. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's they. They'll all tell you that. Yeah, you know, I, you have to ask them what they're skeptical about, <laughs> and well, well, why are they even there? Because I, I, you know, one of the questions I've, I've asked many, many psychics, particularly those involved, well, all of those involved in the ghost hunting uh, side of things, who are running teams, is why are you even doing this? Because you already say you have the answers to the questions that we're posing. So why are you walking around with an EMF meter and a group of people, apart from the, the pecuniary advantage? Right. Oh, well, I, I, I like to um, – I don't believe it myself often and, uh, and or I like to prove it to other people. Yeah, okay. they – you know, the, the, the psychics and mediums I've worked with and who, have, who I've taken on cases with me – they're just another source of information. They don't walk around with an EMF, EMF meter. They're, they're, they are an EMF meter. They are a sensor. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they know their role. Um, one I used to work with quite a bit, Annette Martin, who passed away a number of years ago, we did a number of things for television. And whenever they would ask, Lloyd, what's your favorite piece of equipment? Annette, who had a little bit of a background in entertainment, uh, would jump in front of me and say, I am. <laughs> <laughs> And that's true. Okay. She was my best, my favorite piece of equipment. There you go. I always called you uh, Maureen when I work with her as a tool, one of my tools in my toolbox. But we have an update on the Rusty Hook project oh, and cool. also on the on the ASPR. See, this is this show is getting the latest information right off the wire. Uh, David says he went to the ASPR on a 2 p.m. on a Thursday when it was meant to be open. So that's what he's saying. And he also says that. He heard the Rusty Hook project being a term used and related to the incubus in the habit of fiddling. So okay, uh, well, considering, considering wait, I don't wait, believe wait, in demons, more, I, wait, or, wait, hang on, hang on, Ed Lloyd. There's a little bit more here. Oh, okay. I, okay, I think there is an area uh, that researchers are looking into the history, hence Rusty Hook and Hook being a finger uh so he explained yeah, it it's kind of kind of getting it now yeah now we got it right now we're getting it now okay, we're I getting mean, it you know someone's going to be listening to this thing so we want to make sure they have all the proper information absolutely okay. absolutely all right so I'm, i've I'm never heard of that comments. nope I've well never heard of- yeah, i can't say that any parapsychologist would be looking into the um into anything to do with demons other than people who believe that they're being affected by demons when in fact it's not. However, on the flip side, I know of several psychics who are involved in exploring whether, hold on to your hats, whether orgasm increases uh, psychic performance. Really? Okay. Well, and I was, I I work with some psychics to show that, uh, to see whether or not chocolate increased psychic performance. There we are. Well, according to all the chocolates, I, I mean, yeah, all the chocolates, all the psychics I know, they say uh, chocolate is grounding. Couldn't that they always tell me that? I mean, I always have to supply chocolate. So, yeah, there you go. It also has some. It has some some uh, effects on the on your 
brain chemistry and in a positive way. It's a mood enhancer, so uh, it can definitely open things up. Yeah, who's, depending who's on a, the quality. What, woman, what woman is in a pissy mood when they have chocolates, right? Nobody I know. <laughs> anyway, if I want to go back to what I originally opened up, and, and uh, that is uh, the power, the movie I was talking about. So, field research. If we could ideally, ideally combine the laboratory and field research, how can we do that? Is there a, is there a way or a method or has it been in the past that I'm not, unaware of? Well, you know, there, there are ex experiments um, that can be done in the field. Uh, Gertrude Schmeidler pi pioneered a method of uh, kind of a qualitative method of people's experiences. And one of the things she would do is take people who were and she did different groups. She would she would take skeptics. She took um, people claim to be psychic and just average people into, let's say, and this is not the exact experiment, take, you take them to three different locations and only one of them has had a reported experience or haunting or whatever else. And given floor maps, they're asked to walk around and see if they feel anything out of the ordinary. Um, the locations have to be fairly similar because, as we know, we can walk into somebody's house and the decor can make us feel weird, even though it has nothing to do with anything paranormal or psychic. So they have to be they had to be kind of normalized in some respects to the location that was haunted. And she found that to a great degree, people did pick up on the spots that the witnesses themselves experienced, where the witnesses themselves experienced something, including the skeptics, by the mm -hmm. way. Uh, Micheline Mayer and George Hansen uh, did follow-ups. They did uh, in the 80s and 90s. They did some similar experiments. And then there's the issue of the kind of more specifically qualitative, like the witnesses describe what they're picking up, and you can give them a list of adjectives, and then you can see how, again, bringing in people who are blind to the situation, what do they pick up and what do they circle? So those kinds of experiments can be done on an experiential qualitative perspective. But controlling the environment itself is not that easy. No, no I, I remember when Karen O'Keefe came over, he, he talked about an experiment he did at Hampton Court Castle where he did very similar things. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, so I, I understand that thing. But there is no way of, for instance, if you said you're a, you're a part of the what, some type of foundation. Forever and Family we, Foundation. Thank you. I, I'm terrible with names. Everybody knows that. Uh, so I assume their foundation deals with uh, life passing on. So uh, spirits and ghosts and that type of thing. It, so there's no experiments that you could, for instance, if a place was supposed to be haunted, set up certain controls, certain laboratory procedures to study this phenomenon without uh, dismissing it in reality, but to, to more is a, is a study in it. Well, if we had enough money, there's, there's a, you could certainly do a, a true environmental study of a location that is reportedly haunted over time. But you'd need significant, well, maybe not significant, but you need quite a bit of funding to get the appropriate sensors and also to check the house out from every possible um, normal uh, source of environmental anomalies that might be there, both technological and otherwise. You'd have to eliminate all those first or at least in the process that you're doing things. But you'd really need a really good case with a lot of reported, repeatable happenings. Because if, you know, if it happens only once in a while, you'd have to leave these sensors set up for months at a time and mm -hmm. hope that something happens. Um, the only other possibility is if you 
have a cooperative ghost, an apparition. You know, you have a medium who has a good relationship with an apparition and the apparition is willing to participate. Um, it, it just becomes uh, either expensive or difficult. And even then, you know, none of the sensors are going to detect a ghost per se, just any influence on the environment that perhaps an apparition might have. Um, so uh, you have to look at what you're going to get out of that. What's what's the ultimate goal? And it becomes very, very difficult. If you don't involve, if you involve the mediums, you know, what we're doing in research with mediums these days are brain scans. So using EEG and other scanning devices to study what's going on in the medium's brain when they are having a normal conversation or when they're talking to a spirit or even faking talking to a spirit. They're, they're asked to pretend to talk to a spirit. Mm -hmm. And there are different uh, forms of brain activity that are happening for those those different activities. So there's something absolutely in the brain of the medium that's happening that still doesn't prove that there's an apparition there. Floyd, do you, do you find okay. it frustra uh, frustrating when you come across uh, other psychologists, academics, who, who, whose view of psychics is one that they are all charlatans? I do because... <laughs> You know, when it, but when it comes right down to it is there are, you know, I have to admit there are charlatans, there are fakes in the field, but there are fakes in every field, including in psychology. Right. Um, I, I want, you know, I challenge them to give me an explanation of the mind that will be agreed upon by everybody in psychology or even by rest of science. And of course they can't. Um, and the replication rates in psychology are not good. And in fact, a lot of physical scientists do not consider psychology a science. Uh, it's one of the things that I've found in talking to scientists who are physicists or chemists. If they are skeptical, I will ask them, once they've said parapsychology is not a science, do they consider psychology a science? And almost without fail, they say no. On, on a spontaneous case, for instance, it, is there – let me see how I can – can you study it in the field and then bring – perhaps the participants into the laboratory. I think this was maybe done with the gold flake lady, I think in Florida, I think, I think was that yeah, the case? The gold for, the gold, yeah, that was uh, Steve gold Browdy. Florida. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, yeah if, if people are producing physical phenomena um, and you have a laboratory or a, a place to do controlled studies, there's no question you can bring people who have had experiences, especially with PK, into those environments you have to for pk you have to control in a lot of other ways that's where you have to be really careful because sleight of hand and other misdirection and you know this is my background as a mentalist and magician i know i think that's uh, great you have to be very very careful with that but you can certainly bring people into the laboratory to see if they're psychic otherwise uh, yeah it's i don't know i mean to me there must be a way of doing this where but I mean, we, there are case studies where you you study individual cases yeah. over great yeah. periods of time. Well, so you know, why why are we dismissed those so easily? Well, again, it's because the stigma parapsychology has. Um, you know, again, going back to psychology, there are, there are case studies constantly being published uh, in psychiatry and psychology. You have ethnographies and anthropology. You have so social science in general is about human experience. So parapsychology is essentially a social science. We may use some tools of physical science, but we're essentially a social science. So we are talking about human experience. And you that's where the problem occurs when people put parapsychology 
as a science out there. Most people think of physical sciences, and they rarely ever think about the fact that psychology experiments are not are difficult to replicate in a lot of circumstances, and the fact that participants in psychology experiments may not be being, they may not be honest during the process. Um, I know as a college student, I was part of the requirement for the, the intro to psych class that I had was to participate in two different experiments that a grad student at Northwestern was doing. And to be very honest, I wanted to get the hell out of there. So I just didn't really care about what I was doing. And unless the, the experiment, which it wasn't, by the way, I found it later, unless the experiments were counting on college students rushing through and not really telling the truth or not really caring about what they were doing or following instructions, neither of the experiments was doing that, then, you know, you really don't have good data. You have spurious data in that circumstance. So that's where psychology is. Right. But the the whole thing about the haunting or spontaneous cases is, is it's the human experience. So we have to take it for what it is, uh, right. whether good or bad. I mean, it, it, if you just dismiss it, there is no haunting, basically. Well, uh, that's that's basically the problem. It's it's with all spontaneous experiences, whether there are hauntings, apparitions, or just ESP experiences, for that matter. Uh, while there is an issue with witness testimony, there are patterns that do repeat themselves uh, that we see in the data from spontaneous experiences. And to dismiss them is actually, frankly, unscientific. And mm-hmm. that's that's really ultimately where the, skept- the so-called skeptics fall down when they claim that there's nothing to this, but millions of people have had these experiences and no one has a good explanation for them, partly perhaps because there's so few of us looking for explanations. Uh, they claim we're biased, and perhaps that is true, but because no one else is looking at them for alternatives, we're kind of – we're it. We're the game. Yeah, I don't know. It just it just seems there must be something that some better way of doing this. Well, th- I mean, if we if we just uh, expand on what Lloyd just said, if we look at the in terms of the legal system, mm-hmm. um, often um, there is an issue uh, re- relating to whether um, somebody is guilty or innocent. Now, the law uh, in in law they 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 use this thing called similar fact evidence or similar fact principle, right? Now, what that says is that a lot of a lot of people uh, have had this experience or have acted in this manner. Therefore, the balance of probability falls in, you know, in this way or in that particular way. And yet that isn't that 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 isn't operated by science. And it is unscientific to ignore this. And skeptics like Nickel will come along and say, oh, well, in this case, uh, the person moved the object or threw the object. Therefore, they, the entire case is, is fraudulent. Right. right. Uh, and ignoring this, this thousands of other witnesses who from a, from diverse cultures, from diverse nations spread right across the globe and right throughout history. Uh, we still have these very similar experiences being reported. Yeah, and and to ignore them, you know, there. If you go back to 2011, when uh, Daryl Bem, it was announced that Daryl Bem was uh, his study on precognition done at Cornell was going to be published in a psychology, a mainstream psychology journal. The hue and cry against the journal and Bem was insane. Um, some very smart journalists actually were asking questions of the the louder mouth skeptics. You know, have you read the paper? 
And without fail, they all said no. So, so beside the fact that they weren't going to read, the, they were not even going to read the paper. They did not know if BEM's study, which had not been announced with results, had just been announced that it was going to be published. They did not know that BEM's study was successful in terms of there is psi. It could have been that he found chance, which yeah. would have been perfect for them. So they didn't even know that. And then some of the journals were asking questions like, why won't you read the paper? And, they, and the response typically was, well, it can't exist, so why would I waste my time? That's unscientific. And that was pointed out by some of these science journalists, fortunately. But that is the view of a lot of mainstream scientists. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's interesting talking to people in the psychology world over the years. Um, there's so many schools of psychological thought. And if you're from one, if you're from behavioral psychology, the odds of you reading a, a paper in transpersonal psychology that might impact what you're doing are pretty slim. You're not going to read that because it, how could transpersonal psychology have anything to do with behavioral psychology? Well, I, I, I'm just thinking back then to a TV program I did some years ago where uh, the producers needed a psychologist uh, for the show to mm -hmm. provide the role of the psychologist. They, they brought in a food hygiene psychologist. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, because they're a psychologist. And this food hygiene psychologist, um, lovely lady, uh, had read some of Professor Chris French's stuff on the plane up. Um, and she came over to me and she said, so uh, this low frequency infrasound, it causes ghosts to appear. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, the, just say that on television. The producers will love you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I could see the need for a food psychologist. We could study uh, people, Cake? what they what they <laughs> ate. No, they could study people, what they ate at, at the time they were having their experiences or just prior to their experiences and well, see I if mean, food yeah. has a role in uh, well, spirits. That could happen, you know. Yeah, but that person, that person was a psychologist, not a nutritionist who would I not know, necessarily know anything about that. Yeah. I know, just can but yeah. uh, anyway so uh lloyd i know we're only, believe it or not we're almost out of time and i, I do want to get across uh if uh, people want to get a hold of you and, and find out more about lawyer Auerbach, how can they um they can find me on facebook um that's one way uh follow me on twitter it's at prof paranormal as in professor paranormal mm -hmm. uh and also, my website is down for reconstruction right now, so unfortunately, but uh, you can find me through the foreverfamilyfoundation.org website or through the Rhine Center, Rhine, R-H-I-N-E.org, since I'm teaching courses through the Rhine Education Center. And then uh, if people want to email me, I'm going to give you my email. It's profparanormal at gmail.com. And there I you respond go. to that. Yeah, no, uh, no uh, YouTube uh, channel and your six seasons? I, I actually do. Yeah, I have two YouTube channels in oh, actuality. Oh, take that back. Um, I have, uh, if they just run my name, Lloyd Auerbach. Remember, it's Lloyd with one L, L-O-Y-D-A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. I have a YouTube channel under Lloyd Auerbach, and I have another one under Prof Paranormal. Okay. And what can they find on that, Lloyd? So on... Um, the, the uh, Lloyd Auerbach channel is a lot of my TV appearances over the years. Mm -hmm. And on the Prof Paranormal channel are a few of my lectures that I've oh, done cool. over the years. That's very good, actually. So uh, people can uh, – yeah, that's great. So anyways, we want to thank you uh, so much for uh, joining us today. And uh, it's always good to uh, hear from you. 
It's good commiserating about the ghost hunting world. <laughs> <laughs> They're not quite a lost cause yet. No, I would agree with you, Did Steve. I just say it's a just lost a... cause yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> They're working on it, though. They're working on it. Yeah. They're doing their very best. Mm-hmm. Now that now that the travel channel is going all paranormal, we can sh- surely see lots of more interesting shows. I think one thing's uh, for certain. We three will we we three will never get our own show on it. Right. Never so never. Maybe there'll be a boring channel. Oh, did I say that? No, I didn't. All right, move on. Uh, well, so, anyways, I said lost cause yet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyways, thanks, uh, Lloyd. And uh, anything else you want to add before we say goodbye to you? No, just uh, everybody should question everything they see on TV. <laughs> just period, including anything I'm involved in, because you never know how they edited it. And when I guess we still have a few more seconds, but uh, you know, you said you were a mentalist, which I, I, I find uh, extremely intriguing. Uh, it's it's help, must have helped you a lot of times in dealing with uh, different situations. It, it helps me understand how people misunderstand or misperceive things, but it also helps me in dealing certainly with skeptics mm-hmm. and frauds. Yeah. And the other quick thing too is is just because. Uh, Someone is wrong or a misinterprets thing doesn't mean it's intentionally uh, done. There are some honest people out there that just make some mistakes. I guess is the way. Majority, majority of, yeah, the majority are not frauds. They are just making mistakes. Okay, all right. There's a tune. We got to say goodbye. Thank you so much once again. And uh, till next time. Good night. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.